Hey everybody, good to be together. If you're worshiping online with us at any of our sites today and here in the room, so good. And I've got just a little bit of a spiritual hangover this morning. Have you ever heard of a spiritual hangover? It's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. We participated in the merge event at the Capitol in St. Paul where the families of the earth, the nations gathered to worship and God met us in a special way. And so I'm just like, I got home and I had adrenaline spiritual adrenaline, which means I fell asleep really late and I woke up really early and it's a happy hangover. It's the kind that you want to have where you're drunk with the spirit, I guess you could say, if that's the way. I'm going to stop right here, but so glad that we're here. God's given me what I need. It's been a fun morning already and glad that we can step into it. As I continue the series on heaven, we'll wrap it up next week. And it's been such a helpful series. So their feedback has been so terrific. I'm gonna be addressing the question today, what will we do in heaven? And being it's Labor Day and we think about working and all the things that we accomplish, um, I'm gonna step into what it is we get to do in the heavenly realm as well. Our aim in this series has been threefold. First of all, to engender a warm hope concerning death. Because we, we get to live, we, we need not have fear when it comes to death. And then secondly, to fire up your imagination about heaven, I really have hoped that we could delete the cartoonish images that are part of our culture related to heaven because they invalidate the reality of heaven and demotivate us from making heaven a priority in our everyday thought life in terms of the decisions that we make. And then third and most importantly, we want to live heaven on earth. That when Jesus came the first time, his purpose was to bring heaven on earth. He came down from heaven to earth in order to show us the way to live. And when he comes again, he's going to complete the work that was begun. And then in and through us, in the in-between time, we are about putting right the brokenness of the world in anticipation of what he will make complete. We have a purpose to be God's restorers and renewers of all things. It's part of what he has for us. And your response has been so encouraging on so many fronts. I got uh, an email this past week from a, a woman who is a teacher and a parent. And she said, as a parent, I never knew how to answer questions about heaven from my kids other than saying, no one really knows. After watching the first two messages multiple times and taking notes on them, I'm already feeling more confident and am excited to answer questions my kids might have about heaven and death. I used to feel anxious when they asked me these questions, but now I'm wanting to initiate a conversation with them about these topics. That's a good thing. When we proactively initiate, teach, help our kids understand what God has revealed to us about heaven. I was struck by the fact that she listened to that first message multiple times and took notes, and I thought, man, was it that complex? Did I just miss the boat entirely? But I don't think so. I think the reality is we have a paradigm. We have a view of heaven, and it's wrong. It's wrong, yeah. And he's changed, the, the word of God changes our perspective of heaven. So we have to deconstruct, to reconstruct, and go, now, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so I encourage you, if you've not le- listened to the first message yet, it sets the frame for the whole series. And it's a life changer. And I encourage you to go to it in our current message series. You'll find it there. And then I got a, a question this week from a guy. Um, it could have come from anyone, but it came from a guy. And... <laughs> He said to me, you know, I've heard three messages now on heaven, two from you, one from Pastor Zach, and you've not yet answered my question. (laughs) This is how it is for me. I never can answer all the questions. I go, well, what was your question? He says, I raised it with you a month ago. Honestly, I could not remember what the question was. I go, what was the question? He said, is there going to be sex in heaven? 
I know, you're thinking, that would be a guy kind of question, wouldn't it? <laughs> Could come from anybody, but I thought, okay, I'm going to answer that question. He's in New York, and I said, you tune in to the message, and I know he's watching right now, so hey, here's your question, and I'll get to it later. <laughs> Let me say this, that heaven um, on earth is going to be full of adventure and activity and action and awe. It's not going to be boring in the least. Heaven is not eternal life alone. Um, it's eternal living, and it begins now. And so we find this beautiful picture of the best days of our, um, on earth that we live. You know those days that you've had and you go, man, I just never want this day to end? That's the picture of heaven and all that's still to come. Can't wait. But we're not going to be sitting around. It's going to be a blast. So let's start with what our bodies will look like so that we can do what the Lord would have us do in the heavenly existence. Let me give this perspective. The blueprint of our glorified body is in the body we now possess. And you're going, oh, really? <laughs> this isn't the body I want? And, and I get that. But the reality is, it's what God gave you. know, God gave you a body that's beautiful. It's just been um, maybe um, struggled through the brokenness of the world we live in. But you're going to get a renewed body, reflective of what he intended your body to be all about. And you're going to like it very much. In fact, we get the body without all the issues we have today. And we get a glimpse of it through the resurrected body of Jesus himself. You'll find in the scriptures that it was physical, it was recognizable, you could touch him, and so it will be for us. It will be recognizable. We'll touch each other even in that heavenly realm. We get a picture of it in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised with glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You can sense the energy, the hope of a body that will be renewed with the coming of our Lord again. So feel good about your body in its eternal state if you don't feel good about it now. This is what it means. Our present bodies are perishable. Our Forever bodies are imperishable. They're recognizable with no sickness, no bones, no diseases, no cuts, just a new body. How good is that? Johnny Erickson Tata has been blessed by God with an amazing ministry in her life. She was a quadriplegic at 17 years of age through a horrible swimming incident. And yet she came to salvation and God has used her life and I got to hear her um, once in many years ago, and been reading some of her materials, and she is a very funny lady. <laughs> and she brings insight to truth, sometimes even through humor. And she wrote a book on heaven called Your Real Home, and she says, dream with me about our new body. Quote, she says, one day, no more bulging middles or balding tops, no varicose veins or crow's feet, no more cellulite or support hose, forget the thunder thighs and highway hips. <laughs> Just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone and it's a body you've always dreamed of. Isn't that a great description? But she was using humor as I continued to read to really hit his heart with a truth that's transformative. Take this in. She says, don't be thinking that for me in heaven the big deal after I get to see Jesus is to get my new body. No, no, no. I want a glorified heart. I want a glorified heart that no longer twists the truth resists God, looks for an escape, gets defeated by pain, becomes anxious 
or worrisome. Manipulates my husband with precisely timed phrases. (laughs) Heaven. There will be no more tears or pain, but the greatest joy of all is the fact that we will no longer sin against our sweet Savior. That. I could just pause here for a moment. Just chew on that beautiful truth. Thank you, Johnny, for that. I needed that reminder, and some of you did today as well. So what will we do in heaven? Short answer, a lot, a lot. But let's break down a few of the things that we'll do. First and foremost, we will worship. It's why we were created in the first place, to know God and to worship him authentically. We'll just understand the fullness and the beauty of that worship in new ways that we can't get our head around completely today. You know, after his resurrection and before his ascension to heaven, Jesus encouraged his disciples, saying in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am coming there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. It says several things. Heaven is a place. So just eject that thought of a disembodied state floating up in the clouds. It's a real place. And Jesus is a real person. Um, God and man who will be in that place with us. And that's the essence of worship. We will know without a doubt we are in the presence of God every moment of time that we experience and there's no end to that time. And that's what worship is, to know that God is with me and I am with him. There's the heart of what we've been given in the heavenly realm and we get to enjoy today. And we'll worship freely. Our conflicts will be gone. Our problems will be released. Our sorrows will be done and away with. And our hearts will be so stinking stirred up. We're gonna wanna sing and dance and worship the Lord as we see in Revelation chapter five. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, and some versions say they were singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard from every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise, honor, and glory, and power. We will be caught up in it. It will not be boring. We'll have the goosies, you know, in the presence of the Lord. And I want you to notice that Jesus is the center of our worship and our song when we sing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. For the first time, we'll finally be able to wrap our heads around this love revealed to us in Jesus that would see us and choose to go to a cross for my sin and die to cover it so I could have a dynamic living relationship with God. You know, I speak every year, I try to include half a dozen times throughout the year the three laws of love because I think they're a compass for us in life. And to refresh your memory, the first law of love is to see people the way God sees people. Because we see people from the outside. He sees them from the inside. We make judgments all the time. He sees them the way he hopes and wants them to be, and he wants us to see them that way. And the second law of love is to treat people the way you want to be treated. It's the golden rule. But the third law of love is to love people the way God loves you. And oh, how God loves you. If we could just be in the presence 
of the Lord Jesus to see a love that would go to the nth degree of sacrificing his life so that I could live. It will create in us such a gladness of heart. We will worship him and we will worship him for all eternity. Glad that we have that privilege to do so. And by the way, we worship, but we won't worship alone. Uh, let me just pick this up again in Revelation and chapter seven and these words. Look, look what you find here. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That we are gonna be part of a vast community of multicultural praise. In heaven, we are going to be speaking English and Spanish and Oromo, and we'll be speaking um, Tamil and French, Italian and Russian and Hebrew and Arabic and Korean and Japanese and Chinese, and I could go on and on. But what is so amazing is it will be like Pentecost, that our tongue, what we speak, will continue to speak, but we will understand the tongues of other People, it will not alienate us. We will feel one with them and we will celebrate and worship the Lord together to that end, which is why here near far, the vision that we have cast for Westwood is so important. If heaven is to be lived out on earth, we're supposed to engage in that process of the families of the earth coming together to worship. And this is why I'm in this adrenaline surge today. Can you tell I have a little extra adrenaline today? Because last night, Carrie and I were um, there to take in Sammy Wagnoni and the, the merge event, the merging of the peoples of the Twin Cities for a time of worship, gospel sharing, salvation, and baptisms, I'm telling you, for six hours. We worshiped, we praised, it was so beautiful to see what would happen. I had the opportunity to speak briefly to the audience. I brought a, a picture you could see, it was at the state capitol. And I got to just give a welcome on behalf of all the pastors to what I believe is a movement of God in the Twin Cities. So the pastors were there gathered around and I got to speak to the crowd and I said a couple of things. I said that I believe God's favor is on the Twin Cities and if you could live anywhere in the world today, it would be in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Because the world has come to our doorstep. The nations are here. And God's heart is for the families of the earth that are here. And the opportunity for us to point people toward Jesus so that the families of the earth together can bring that praise is happening in our midst. And I went on to say, in heaven, every geographical boundary that separates us will be swept away. And every prejudice that hurts us and harms us and divides us even today will be gone. And every opportunity to see the reality of our human strife um, that breaks us apart be set behind, it's gonna happen because of God's movement. And all the partisan bickering that's taking place is gonna turn into people building. This is what heaven promises. But it's not just then, it starts now. Heaven is on earth and we get to be part of that renewal. And I let them know, for the first time in my knowledge, I've been in the Twin Cities serving as a minister of the gospel for 41 years, that we are linking arms with the nations of the earth, churches across the Twin Cities, and we're sitting around tables and uniting with a purpose that says we will be about making Jesus known in the Twin Cities. So we're known, the spotlight is on Minneapolis, St. Paul because of our brokenness and our fires but I'm telling you there's a fire breaking out of the darkness that the world will see and it will cast I believe a leveraging influence for God and his glory to the urban centers all around the world and we are part of that we get to be part of that 
So I say thank you to all who participated and Sammy Wagnoni, who is a Westwood member, gave the gospel presentation and we got to witness salvations and they had people raise their hands with uh, their phones and the light, but as they raise their hands, you see the hands of all the different colors. The nations gathered together and then they had two baptismal tanks and we got to witness people being baptized, dozens of them. Tears were just flowing. Already, I got goosebumps right now, reliving it. I wish all of you could be there, but you can get it in your imagination. We get to be part of that. And so grateful that we as a church are stepping into that arena. But why wait? If heaven and earth is a reality today, we need to continue to be part of that, and we are. We're gonna be hosting an event called United in Praise at our Bush Lake campus. I wanna say thank you to everybody at Bush Lake for hosting us, for what will be an exciting experience on Saturday, September 16th, sorry, Thursday, September 16th. Say that with me. Thursday, September 16th. When is it happening? Thursday, September 16th. I want you to come because our worship team is linking with worship leaders and song leaders um, in the different people groups for an evening of the nations, the families of the earth worshiping together. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids so you can teach them what's ahead. When is it? Thursday, September 16th. Mark it on your calendars. We'll celebrate that together. Just a couple of thoughts on worship, sidebar thoughts, I guess, in some ways that I want to reflect on, partly because I want to make a little correction for us. In our church services, we think of worship as being the song portion of our worship services. But worship is the all of what we do. Paul says, in all you say and do in word and deed, do it all for the glory of God. We're worshiping the Lord. All the points that I'm making are acts of worship, but we think of it in song, and song will be included. And song is important because music makes us happy. But I wanna say a couple of things about it that might be noteworthy to you. When we came in and we opened our worship service in song today, some of you sang and some of you did not. And some of you did not because you were not in the mood to sing. You maybe had a hard morning last night. I don't know. Um, it could be that you were so caught up in what was taking place, you just want to listen. I'll do that sometimes where I just, I just want to quiet myself and receive the worship and song. And some of you just really have bad voices you can't sing in tune. <laughs> you know who you are and you're concerned you're going to disturb your neighbor. And occasionally I've been disturbed by some of your voices through the years. <laughs> but I think you should still offer it before the Lord. Why? Because in heaven, we're all gonna sing. I don't know if it's in tune or not. I'm assuming it's all tweaked perfectly. I don't, I don't know. But we're gonna sing like children. You notice how children, by the time they start to walk, they can't stop moving when music comes on. They want to, they're so free. Why? Because they don't have the worries of the world weighing them down. That's part of our struggle. But more importantly, it just makes them happy. Kids love to sing because it makes them joyful. And that's the picture we have in heaven. We will be happy to sing and it will make God happy that we're singing as well. And one last thing about this whole music front. We won't critique worship styles or songs. That's earthly behavior. If we were truly to live heaven on earth, we'd learn to celebrate the different expressions of worship. And I know they're different. I have my personal choices. I love classical music. I know you think I'm a total bore. I just do. It speaks to me. And we all have our different styles, but I learned long ago in my faith journey that worship is of the heart. And wherever I go, in any place in the world, I step into worship and it's beautiful. The multicultural worship, the songs that we sing, but it's a matter of the heart, a choice that we make, and I encourage you to make that choice. 
My children are now in their 30s. And when I have a birthday or late 20s and 30s, and when I have a birthday or Father's Day, they always da- say, Dad, what, what can we give you for Father's Day? And I, and I say the same thing every year. Just, would you come and stand by me and worship with me in worship services? You know, playing golf on Father's Day is fun. It's good. There may even be golf courses in heaven. I thought that might be of interest to some of you. <laughs> um, going out and have dinner with them is meaningful. But having my kids stand beside me in worship is the best. I don't think I'd change it for anything because I think it's a glimpse of heaven. The families of the earth and our families will be side by side or on bended knee and we will worship the living Lord. What will we do in heaven? We will worship, finding our greatest pleasure in God. But secondly, we will fellowship. Pastor Zach addressed that this past week. I just want to add one thing. Listen to that message, a really great message. I want to add one thing to it, and that is that God is a table God. And we're created in the image of a table God, so we're people, um, or we're, we're people, table people as well. But throughout the scripture, we find that God is setting tables. That tables, something happens around tables for us that um, deepens our bond of affection with him and each other. And so at the end of our service, we're gonna come to this table. We know it as the Lord's table, and it's an important defining marker for us so that we never forget what's been accomplished on our behalf. But there's more to come. Revelation 19.9, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, we, we sit around the supper with Jesus, and that bond of affection deepens. And we're table people, that is, we love to sit around the table with friends and family to tell stories and to laugh and to celebrate each other's journey. It's some of our most meaningful expressions. And guess what we do around the table? We we get to eat food. How many of you love to eat food? Let me see your hands. Be bold, you love food because food was given by God to enjoy and we get to enjoy it. And I get a glimpse of that just with my wife, Carrie. I wish you could be with us, she dines. She dines, if it's McDonald's or you're going out to a nice dinner, she dines. She enjoys her food, and I delight in watching her eat. Even if we have 10 people over, she's the very last one. I mean, it's like, (laughs) she can make a dinner last longer than anybody you know on the face of the earth. And then when it's all done, and if nobody's looking, she'll take her finger and take the sauce and just clean the plate completely. <laughs> the cr- it's all gone, there's nothing left. She enjoys food, and I think there's a picture for us of food. We get to enjoy food together. The joy of food, but we'll enjoy food, and that's not all, conversation with amazing people. That's what we get to do and people we wanna know better. Like Matthew 8, 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Just imagine the unlimited opportunity to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to take the stories that we know about here, but they have all the color commentary, the backstory, and it's just like endless, the opportunity to get to know the people, and the people that we read from books that are of interest to us or we've met in life. Helen Roosevelt is one of my favorite, a missionary who survived Auschwitz, and her writings have shaped my life greatly, and or Winston Churchill, political leader. You have your own people that you would like to get to know better. We'll have plenty of time to do so. Eternity will be filled with the greatest stories and endless curiosity about everything and everyone. We're gonna be exploring with great adventure the beauty of God's created order and what a joy it will be. And we get a glimpse of that as well. 
We get it through children especially. Um, I, I brought, okay, this is my youngest granddaughter. I'm a grandfather, I can't resist. This is Charlie Grace and she's 16 months and I want you to notice her fingers pointing up because this is her posture of life right now. I hold her and her fingers up and she goes, what's that, what's that, what's that, what's that? Who's that, who's that, who's that, who's that? She is so curious. She's just taking in the world order. What is all this that's around me? Because she's seeing and understanding for the very first time. And that's what heaven is like. We're going to go to heaven and say, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Who's that? Who's that? There'll be endless curiosity and exploration and venture for us in the heavenly realm. What a great thing. And by the way, the bucket list that you have, you think, I'll never have the opportunity to go through all the things I want to do. Oh, yes, you will. You will never finish the bucket list. They'll just continue in the life that is still to come. Isn't that cool? Aren't you glad that you have faith? I pray you have faith because that's what's before you as you move forward. So fellowship. We get to sit around a table and eat and have conversations with each other, explore and see the great adventure and curiosity that is part of our life and our journey. And back to the question, will there be sex in heaven? Quite honestly, I wasn't sure where to put this in the message outline. Seemed like the best point, so I go, <laughs> feels like a shoehorn. I just kind of tucked it in and say, okay, this is it. Back to the question, all the way to New York, to my friend. Will there be sex in heaven? Um, I encourage you to read in full um, Matthew 22, where Jesus gives some instruction and clarification about marriage in the heavenly realm. And in so doing, he says it's not going to be carried out the same way it is on earth. We'll still have our identities, we'll know each other, but there will be a different interface when we are in the heavenly realm. I was a little surprised when I prepared to answer this question, the academic debate that's out there, and you can step into it if you want. It's quite interesting, but we've encouraged you to go to Randy Elkhorn's book on heaven through this whole series, and he speaks wisely about it. He writes that there's a different sort of continuity between earthly marriage and marriage to Christ and his church, which by the way, marriage was always to model the intimacy of the church being the bride of Christ and being with the Lord for all eternity. And he goes on to say that um, there may also be in some way uh, an intimacy and a pleasure we now know as an act of sex that will be fulfilled in some higher form we don't understand in full today. Quote, if we won't have sex and if in heaven there's no frustration of desire, then obviously we won't desire sex. What we will desire and always enjoy is the best part of sex, that sex is always pointing to deep and transcendent relational intimacy. That's a beautiful way of saying it. That the appetites and desires of this world will give way to higher and infinitely greater gratifying pleasures in the world to come. And that makes sense to me. One of my theme verses is Psalm 1611, and it says, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. So if there's any joy to be had, any pleasure to be had, its fullness will be found in the presence of God. One perspective, and hope that's of some help to you and encouragement. We will experience, friends, kahila kadosha, which is a Hebrew phrase for a sacred community. And I'm mindful of this, this phrase that I introduced to the church well, half a dozen years ago. I'm really mindful today where I feel a tearing in family systems and our country um, but there is a kahila kadosh, there's a sacred community that's fully restored for us where we 
are, can know and be known, where we can love and be loved, where we can serve and be served, where we can celebrate and be celebrated. So what will we do in heaven? We will worship, we will fellowship, and we will work and serve God. We will set goals and devise plans and share ideas. And I know what you're thinking, oh, we're gonna have to work in heaven. Oh, I'm tired, I don't wanna work in heaven. But you won't be drained. This is the kind of work that will energize you, not drain you. That's the picture you get of the heavenly work order that we'll be doing the Father's business with skills and capacities that he's even given us now in the life that is still to come. Revelation 22, three. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Or a prophetic view from Isaiah 65. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands They will not labor in vain, for they will be people blessed by the Lord. In other words, your work isn't over um, when we're done with this world, uh, and it's a good thing. So let me just share four quick thoughts about work and what is before us. Number one, we were created to work and to find fulfillment in the beginning. The commandment that came in Genesis for us to work came before the fall, before sin, before the curse. So God intended work to be part of our order and partnership with him. And so we won't have the burden and the challenge of it. We'll no longer be under the curse. We won't have the stress and the anxiety and the pain of the curse. We'll just be eager to undertake the new expressions of it that he has for us. Secondly, heaven will be a place of productivity. That you have been given specific skills, abilities, capacities on earth. Treasure them. Respect them. Those are given to you by God for purposes of this earth, but the one that is still to come. How you steward them today actually shapes the assignment in the life still to come. We find it in John, or, uh, Jesus' words, Luke 19. Well done, good and faithful servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in the little, take charge of 10 cities. You'll be given more responsible responsibilities in the heavenly realm. With gladness, you will receive them. Third, God has decided that we're actually going to help him rule the universe. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? That with a new earth um, that he will run, we will join him in that exercising leadership, being given influence, doing decision-making, much like we do here, but with all of his help, so that our best work days on earth, when things get done far better than you ever expected them to, or they get done on time especially, or the team that you're working with were just gelling together and all the way, this was fun, that's a glimpse of what's before us in the heavenly realm. It's a foretaste of the joy. And then finally, I wanna say about work. You know the honeydew list? Some of you got one of those. I'm not alone, right? You got a honeydew list, it's real. And I don't know why we think this, that sometimes the, what we're gonna get done can only be done here. That's not true. It, it will continue on. Don't be discouraged, because <laughs> it would be a better honeydew list. Um, and it's personal too. I want you to be encouraged in this. If you would have dreams that are shattered here, I think God will unshatter a lot of those dreams and make them right and good for us in the life to come. If we think that a life is wasted or less than because a person's been living with disabilities or maybe somebody died far too young and you know we feel sad because their dreams didn't come true, who says that those dreams won't come true? They'll come true in the life still to come. God's not done with this yet. He'll take and restore the brokenness here and he'll make it beautiful in the heavenly realm. 
and we'll rejoice and worship him for that because life doesn't end here. It continues on. What will we do in heaven? We will worship, we'll fellowship, we'll work, and one last one briefly, we will rest. After everything we have gone through, we get to rest. There will be a peaceful and a restful serenity unlike anything we have ever experienced on earth. Revelation 6, 11, and there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told they should rest. It's a body liberating, rejuvenating, revival kind of experience for our whole being. So we will work in heaven, we will rest in heaven. Here we struggle to find the balance of all of that. There we will find the proper balance of work and rest. So what will we do in heaven? It's gonna be a blast. And we're not gonna just sit around. We're gonna worship. We're gonna fellowship and eat and explore. We're gonna work and serve and rule and we will rest. And we will not hurt or be hurt by others. I like that. We will not mourn or cry or sin or die. We will enjoy the good things that God has given to us. And that's why he came, to give us a glimpse of heaven and earth. And that's why we wanna step in and say, I'm available for that. And that's why we come to this table, to take the bread, a picture of the coming of Jesus and all of his love for us in spite of our sin, to take it upon himself so that we could live in dynamic relationship with God, anticipating his coming again, but being faithful to enjoy it even now and to be restorers of the brokenness that is there. We come to this table and I wanna reflect briefly on uh, and John Newton. John Newton wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And I don't know if you know his story or not, but John Newton, I was struck by that line, Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. I thought it was such a harsh line until you read his story, because he was a slave trader. And he participated in some of the most evil acts against humanity that you could ever imagine. I just read in July the uh, biography of William Wilberforce and William Wilberforce would be the British Parliament leader who would take upon himself the abolition of slavery up until that time never known in history. So it's just 1807 when it all took place. So William, uh, uh, John Newton would come to hear the gospel and I think about this when we don't feel like we're worthy to, to have God come and meet us. Why would God want anything to do with me? Here's a guy, he was a wretch of a man. And that's why we sing the hymn the waves. He knew he was a wretch of a man. And he owned his sin. And in the presence of God, he experienced the love of Jesus that transformed him. John Newton would be used to influence William Wilberforce and lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. And with that change would come the abolition of slavery. Now God has his purposes to take the worst of us and redeem us and to give us hope. And if you're living in a place and you haven't said yes to Jesus, I'm just telling you, the best of life is in him and in him alone. Or if you've been derailed by the noise of the world and the distractions of your life and you've just lost your way with God, put your faith in Jesus as we come to this table. And let's do that together in prayer. Would you stand and join me? Father God, we're reminded of Paul's words who puts it so simply. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And most of us here have confessed that with our mouth and believed it in our heart that Jesus Christ is Son of God and Savior of our soul. But I know, Lord, that there are some here 
who have not come to that point of confession and belief. Maybe one or five or 50. And that may be the Spirit speaking to you. And I encourage you on this day to say yes to his invitation by praying this prayer. Father, I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, that you love me, you came for me, you died for me. And I say to you, thank you. And I love you. And I come to you. I confess my sin and I receive your forgiveness and life today and for all eternity. In the matchless name of Jesus, 